Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 18th. A tragic homicide outside a Calgary school has brought the issue of domestic violence back into the spotlight. We discuss the prevalence of domestic violence in our community and the resources available for victims in the city with mental health advocate Karen Gallagher-Burt. Next, are you getting nervous about your upcoming mortgage renewal? With interest rates higher than they've been in years, it's a challenging time for those now in the renewal process. We get some advice on how to navigate the current market with Victor Tran, mortgage expert with rates.ca. And finally, how can Canada safeguard support for immigration while avoiding the negative consequences of rapid population growth? We tackle the topic with Alicia Planinchich, economist and manager of policy with the Business Council of Alberta. Very excited because it's our regular chat with Karen Gallagher-Burt, a mental health advocate and social worker working out of the Distress Centre, distresscenter.com. Karen braved the elements and came in uh, this morning live. How you doing, Karen? Uh, I'm cold, You're but I'm cold. good. You're cold. Is it funny? It's, it's not as cold as it was, but it just it feels colder. Yeah, it does. And but it's nice because I said to Reese on the way in that maybe we'll only have three months of winter this year. It might it be actually quite nice. <sighs> not six, not 50-50. Yeah. Now, it's unfortunate. We love having you in, and uh, mental health always top of mind for us, especially over the past handful of years, right? Yeah. But then an incident happens, like the grizzly incident we were witness to a couple of days ago in the city, uh, where uh, there was a homicide outside of a Calgary school. And uh, we are now hearing more. We had the chance to speak with the police chief yesterday that this was attached to an incident of domestic violence. And yeah. We may not recognize domestic violence impacting those around us. Uh, you know, you might know something's off with a friend, but, you know, you don't know what's happening in someone's house. Or maybe even in our lives, things have crept in. Yeah. Uh, so we want to discuss breaking that cycle, Karen, and uh, how, you know, uh, well, let's start outside of our homes. Because something I said to the police chief is I said, well, what is my responsibility or what are my tools as a, maybe a neighbor or a coworker, or a family member, or a friend, if I, if I suspect something is going on? You know, it's such a tough conversation. I think most of us, when there's something that you might have an idea something's going on in someone's home, you've seen little behaviors, you've heard the yelling, you've those kinds of things, all of us kind of get to that place where we start to talk about it in our homes or with our partners, whatever that might be, but we don't talk to anyone else. And it's one of those areas, Canadians are so polite. Yeah, we want to mind our own business. Uh, exactly. So it's kind of like what happens behind your door happens behind your door. And and I think that's where we haven't quite shifted as a society yet, where we realize that how other people are treated is our business in terms of this is crossing a line. Now we're into a criminal act. It, you know, in Alberta, it's very interesting. Um, if you witness or feel that a child is suffering in some way from neglect abuse harm you're legally obligated under the under the child family child family act i think it's called i can't that's not right but um you're legally obligated to report it and if you don't you can be criminally charged i had no idea no and it's not the same yet with domestic violence um you know so i always say that what are the laws first because the laws are very very straightforward particularly around a child so think about a, a domestic violence situation if there are children in the family there's child abuse going on so yeah, that's a, I never thought of it through those. Yeah. Times. So for me, that's the lens I look at it through. Um, it's such a it's such a private thing, and and I think a big part of it is people go to work, and maybe there's indications somebody says something, somebody sees something, but you look at the environment we live in right now. For a person to leave a domestic violence situation, where are they going to live? 
Where are they going to rant? What are they going to yeah. do? So I think it's, it, I'm going to use a nice big word, I think it behooves all of us oh. to be paying attention to it and to ask questions in a safe way, in a safe manner. Um, it can be simply that conversation that you have with your neighbor when you're taking the garbage out in the back. Um, it can be that little conversation of checking in. Worst comes to worst is you ask someone to check on them. You do an emergency check with police. And the worst comes to worst out of that, in my mind, is that the neighbors PO'd at you. Yeah. And, and furious. But someone's safe. Well, I would rather err on that yeah. side than not. And I know I certainly in my family have had, not just my immediate family, but the next layer, people that have been very angry with me because I've told them something they're doing qualifies as abuse. And if they continue it then I would have no choice but to report them. Now, I have a legal obligation based on being a social worker. Yeah, yeah. But as a human being, I think you have an obligation as well. Through your profession, Karen, and as a social worker, and, you know, uh, through your work at the Distress Center, distresscenter.com, and by the way, 24 hours a day, tac, uh, text or chat, 403-266-HELP. Uh, have you noticed an uptick? I think I know the answer to this question because anytime we have a, a stressful situation, yeah. we come out of COVID, we know people, jobs... Are, are tight, yeah. housing is tight, and money is super tight. Well, I think that's the that's the root right now of many things, and I will not say it's domestic violence root, but the root of many things is that, that we're on the edge with every area of our life. Like I always talk about couples when I've done work with couples. You fight about five things. You fight about kids, chores, sex, money, and in-laws. That's Those it. are the five. Those are the five. That's it. I mean, really, think about any time you've had a disagreement with a partner. It's been usually in one of those categories. Well, if you've done a kitchen reno, we can add that in. Oh, but yeah, no, well, okay, yeah. Sorry. renovations are yeah, a subcategory. That's a sub-six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when you look at that, during the pandemic, when we were so tight in quarters, when then there were so many different stressors that we had no control over, and that, to me, was the big thing, is that as human beings, we like to have a certain control of what's happening around us, and that pandemic took it all away. We, had, we realized how little control we have. Yeah. And so when you lose that, your autonomy, then guess what? That's highly stressful. And and that layer hasn't really left since we've come out of the pandemic from the health perspective. That hasn't switched. We've still stayed high in terms of our emotionality and our response to things. And I find people are still very quick to respond in a negative way. Mm -hmm. I want to shine this uh, light on the fact that you, you know, the stats are out there, and you'll know a lot better than I will, Karen, as far as when we talk about domestic violence, more so directed toward women, but men can be oh, yes. victims of domestic violence. Yeah, they can be. And there is a shelter in Strathmore. Um, and then we also are able there, they accept folks who identify who are trans. Um, so there are spaces for people to go that are safe. Um, but I will say that... Um, the limited spaces. You've had a lot of folks I know on Global in the last while. You've had Leslie Hill from Discovery House um, talking about what's going on in that field. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough spaces and resources, period, for anything and anyone. It is a very difficult time, and that's why yeah. we're glad to have a resource like the Distress Center and, and you, Karen. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate always, it. Always, always. You have a happy day for the rest of the day, and hope Sue okay. comes back rested. Hope she, I just hope she comes back. Uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's iffy. There's golf down in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you know her well. Uh, Karen Gallagher-Burt, a mental health advocate and social worker working out of the Distress Center, distresscenter.com, and again, 24 hours a day, chat or text 403-266-HELP. If you have a mortgage renewal on the horizon, you might be waiting and hoping to see rates drop in 2024. 
Joining us to help you navigate mortgages over the next 12 months ahead is Victor Tran, mortgage and real estate expert with rates.ca. Good morning and welcome back to the program, Victor. Good morning. Good to be back. Oh, well, you know, a lot of people, again, crossing their fingers and hoping, and we're hearing rumors and rumblings that uh, there will be a decline in fixed-rate mortgage rates in uh, 2024, those interest rates. Uh, what's behind those rumblings and rumors? That's right. Yeah, you've been hearing that, right? So the rates have dropped uh, quite a bit, actually, uh, on, on the fixed-rate side. Variable rates are still the same. We saw almost a, a 4% drop in fixed rates in the past month or so, uh, but Hard to say if it's going to continue to decline throughout this year. I think it's still going to be a bumpy road. And in fact, today, Canadian bond yields have actually increased again. And mortgage rates, specifically fixed rates, are tied to Canadian bond yields. So some lenders may be forced to increase their fixed rates again. So regardless, I think it's still going to be a bumpy road. Uh, Don't expect to see lower rates in the 3 or even 4% range anytime soon. Uh, all Canadians up for renewal or in the market of purchasing a home should definitely lock in something soon mm-hmm. uh, in case rates do uh, take a turn and start going back up again. When you say take a turn, I mean, it's it's been very interesting to say the least. I bet your job has uh, never been uh, so much footwork and, and juggling uh, to try to keep up. Uh, but also, you know, depending on the Bank of Canada, and we're now hearing, I've heard reports anywhere from uh, not this time, uh, we're going to be holding that rate steady. No decline, but uh, it will be late spring or maybe even summer. What are you hearing? That's right. Yeah, I, um, I'm aligned with those market predictions. Uh, but again, you know, from what we learned for the you know in the past couple of years, it, it doesn't take much for the market to turn. Um, so yes, there's lots of predictions that the Bank of Canada may start dropping the overnight lending rate, which of course the prime rate is tied to, uh, sometime in spring or summer or even in the fall. Uh, but you know, again, I wouldn't um, you know set the expectation that the rates will drop for sure. You know, CPI or inflation has ticked up a little bit. Uh, so if this continues, you know, these these rate drops will be off the table. Let's talk about, you know, and then maybe somebody's, you know, looking at it a different way. They've been on the fixed rate or they've been on the variable rate and they're looking to change things up. Uh, I was always told, and again, this is kind of a mortgage 101, but years ago I was told that, you know, when you look at a 25-year average, uh, the variable rate will win every time, but it's hard to convince somebody right now to be at a variable rate. Uh, what are the pros and cons of both fixed and variable? If you can put those into layman's terms for us, Victor. That's right. So fixed rates, of course, uh, the, the, the rate's locked in. It's fixed. It doesn't change uh, throughout the duration of the term, whether it's a one-year fixed or three or five years. You're basically going to be paying the same amount every single month for, let's say, five years. So lots of certainty, uh, more stability, of course. You know what you're expecting, and you can sleep at night. Uh, variable rates, of course, there's definitely a lot of volatility with that, especially what we've seen for the past couple of years. Uh, so it's going to go up. It could go down, of course. Uh, but yes, historically, throughout many decades, the variable rate has outperformed the fixed rate, despite the fluctuation in rates. Uh, as long as you're comfortable with a little bit of uncertainty, you may save some interest uh, in the long run. Uh, but again, you know, there, there's definitely some instability with that. Uh, for the past year or so, I'd say the fixed rate uh, has definitely been the more popular choice. Uh, more people are just going for that uh, certainty and stability. But the interest 
for variable rate mortgages are coming back, mainly because of what we've been hearing in the news and how the Bank of Canada is going to potentially drop the rate by a full 1% by the end of this year or early 2025. Um, so some people are trying to capitalize on a decent discount below prime and hope to catch some of the lower rates as the rates drop. Let's break down the process as well uh, when it comes to shopping around for rates and, uh, you know, talking to a broker as early as you can and, uh, you know, locking in a rate. Is this something, if you can break down some of the parameters, and by the way, speaking with Victor Tran, mortgage and real estate expert with rates.ca, if you can break that down for us, because, for example, if I were to talk with you or somebody from your office, Victor, and get locked in in a rate today, um, and but, you know, I think if there's a time limit how long that you can hold that rate, if you can break that down for us, but also if a better rate comes up, for example, in two months, can I switch? Absolutely. So most lenders and banks will allow customers to lock in a rate for as long as 120 days. So that is four months. Uh, and that applies to anyone in the market that's looking to purchase a home or anyone that is up for renewal. Um, anyone up for renewal also has the ability to lock in a rate as early as six months with some of the current lenders. Uh, but usually it's four months, which is 120 days. And yes, if the rates drop, you can always amend that rate or put that request in to apply for the lower rate versus what you locked in for, let's say, a month or two months ago. Uh, but there's no harm or no cost to do that. So it's always best just to seek advice early, lock in a rate early, just in case rates do climb up again. And I know that, you know, everybody's situation is different, Victor, but, uh, you know, what advice would you give to somebody? Because you'd mentioned as what I've been reading and we, we parlayed back and forth how it looks like late this spring or in the summer, we might start to see some relief and see that BOC rate go down a bit, which would provide us a greater relief when it comes to mortgages. But if my renewal, for example, uh, were to come up in March, what would be my best course of action if I had a, a, a low rate, like 3% from before, and now I'm staring down, tacking on at least a couple percentage points? What would be my best strategy? If the renewal is coming up within the next four months, then definitely talk to the current lender that the mortgage is with uh, to lock in a rate. Uh, it's always best to also seek advice elsewhere, right? Uh, not just rely on the current lender. But uh, speak with a mortgage broker or a mortgage advisor that's employed by one of the other lenders out there just to see what the options are. Um, Just to lock in a rate early. Again, there's no harm and no cost. And just ride that out until the maturity date comes up. So in your example, if the maturity date or renewal date is coming up in March, you know, I wouldn't execute or sign any documents until a little bit closer to the renewal date. I'd say about three to four months, for the three to four weeks prior to the renewal date, just in case rates start to drop. Um, but it's also good to shop around and speak with brokers or advisors elsewhere. Uh, and you can use that as a negotiating tool or bargaining tactic and, and pin that against the current lender as well, too, right? just to kind of force their hand to drop their rates. Most of the time, current lenders are not going to offer their best and bottom floor rate uh, right off the bat. They're going to make you work for it. So if you have some ammo to work with and you have a, a better rate elsewhere, then it's always best to use that to your advantage. Yeah, I guess going in with as much knowledge as you can and as much leverage in this case as well. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, Victor. We appreciate it as as always. Thank you. Victor Tran, a mortgage and real estate expert with rates.ca. How can Canada safeguard support for immigration while avoiding any unintended consequences of rapid population growth? Joining us to discuss is Alicia Planinchich, economist and manager of policy with the Business Council of Alberta. Good morning. Thank you for joining the program, Alicia. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for having me. 
it, it's interesting because immigration, it's, it's kind of the fabric of Canada. It's, it's something that we do. We take newcomers into our country and, uh, you know, welcome them with open arms. And in fact, I'm reading some of the stats here. We need it because uh, newcomers account for nearly 98% of our population. So it's important, but uh, we've, we've kind of hit a, a bit of a, I guess you'd say, speed bump. Can you break this down for us, Alicia, when it comes to the current state of immigration in Canada? Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you say, immigration is so important. I think it's a huge part of who we are as a country. I myself, I'm not from Canada, neither is my husband. Um, but I think one of the key misconceptions or the things that we overlook when we think about immigrants is that immigrants don't just come and fill jobs, right? They need a place to live. They need health care. Their children need an education. And so that's really what this report focuses on is what is the infrastructure build out that needs to happen with population growth that unfortunately we're just not seeing. So what what do we do at this point? Because you mentioned that infrastructure piece and, and beyond that, you know, the jobs are one thing. But, yeah, we need, you know, school desks available for, for uh, children who immigrate to our country. We need medical staff. We need doctors available. So how can we continue on this path, uh, but also make sure that everybody's provided for? For sure. It, it's, it's a great question. And yeah, one thing maybe I'll just underscore in terms of the numbers that we're seeing is I, I think we've kind of seen these challenges building for years, but really over the past couple of years is really when we've hit this threshold where we've seen enormous population growth. Canada was actually among the top 20 fastest growing countries on the entire planet in 2022. Um, stay tuned for 2023, but I suspect it was quite high as well. And and so we just have not seen infrastructure respond um, as it should or as it, as, as it needs to. Just um, to focus on housing, for instance, in particular, um, that that equates to about 400,000 new households, but mm. only about 200,000 housing units were built over that time, right? And so the math just does not add up. We just cannot respond that quickly to that huge of a population swing. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing this play out in support for immigration levels where people are growing more and more concerned, not for immigrants themselves, but really for these large numbers. And they worry, you know, can Canada take on this this kind of population growth? Um, specifically, when you look at the demographics, um, it's popping in terms of Ontario and BC. So these markets with really high housing prices, as well as among first-generation immigrants, they are among the most concerned um, for these immigration levels. And one thing I'll just add in terms of this growth and where it's coming from is it's actually, um, you know, PRs, permanent residence is a part of that, but but a huge part of the increase, about 60%, was actually non-permanent residents. So these are either temporary foreign workers um, or folks who are here for schooling. And, and these numbers can swing wildly from one year to the next. We don't have a cap. We don't set expectations on these numbers. So it can be really, really hard to respond to. But it's interesting, Alicia, uh, to the extent that we do, uh, I gave that stat earlier, 98% of our growth is due to immigration in our country. We certainly need to have people in our country to, to, to operate and to, to continue moving forward as a nation. However, and I think that, you know, we, we do mention that there might be some well, lessening support for immigration, but could it not be the case that you can be supportive of immigration but believe that the number of immigrants that we're allowing into our country each and every year should be, you know, called back a bit at this point? For 
For sure. And, and, and I think, though, um, kind of the, the solutions that we raised within this report is, I think, one, we really need a renewed focus on those challenges underlying um, health care and housing that are unrelated to and predate population growth or immigration growth. Um, things like the fact that we have an aging population and a primary way that our primary way that we pay for health care is through the Canada Health Transfer that does not adjust with the fact that the population is aging. So there are these important things and changes that need to be made within the system to be able to support increases in immigration. That said, we also highlight one area that the immigration system itself can help, which is with our selection of economic immigrants. So economic immigrants are those who are selected for uh, basically their economic benefit or potential in the Canadian economy. Um, so we need to be thinking about the jobs that we need in this infrastructure build out, you know, things like healthcare professionals um, that are needed to keep to keep hospitals from closing or folks within the trades to help with this wave of retirement that we're hearing about in construction. So I think that's certainly one piece of the puzzle, but it's, it's not the full um, solution if we don't solve those underlying challenges. Mm-hmm. Just making, you know, changing our selection process with economic immigrants, it's not going to do it alone. So we really need both pieces. And and I think the one good news is we're seeing the federal government is acknowledging the need for um, a more collaborative approach, thinking with the provinces and um, municipalities to plan for population growth and think about the health care needs and infrastructure needs. But we really haven't seen many details of that plan beyond just saying that we need to do this. And so I think that's what really needs to happen to ensure that population um, or the immigration support really does remain high in Canada. Uh, the support, yes, I, I get that 100%. And when it comes to newcomers arriving in our nation, it, policy and, and even, I guess you'd say, like centers for newcomers and resources to integrate. To I'm sure for a lot of people, it's kind of a shock to be living in Canada, especially with some of the colder weather we've been experiencing. Um, but these things can, can move a little bit more rapidly. Training people to be resources for the immigrants can, you know, maybe you can get those up and running six months, a year, a couple of years. But hearing that the CMHC is saying we need to build six million more units in our nation, according to your report, it was within the report, by 2030 to restore affordability, that's going to take quite some time. Is there a Band-Aid solution when it comes to housing uh, the immigrants? Unfortunately, I, I, I don't think that there is. I think it just really puts pressure on us to figure these things out. We don't have the luxury of time, and um, we really need to support municipalities to get building permits out faster, looking at what red tape gets in the way, what are slowing things down, and really support industry to build housing you know, as, as quickly as possible to respond to this need. Very interesting conversation and obviously timely. Thanks for your time this morning, Alicia. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate being here. That is Alicia Planinchich, economist and manager of policy with the Business Council of Alberta.